Hey, does anybody here love Jesus Christ? If so, would you raise your hand and say amen? amen. Isn't he awesome? What a Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. Today we're in God's Word. We're in the uh, 19th chapter, and so we're walking through the book of, X, of Acts together, and it's just been fantastic. And so I, I encourage you to open your Bible and follow along in Acts chapter number 19. We're going to talk about Paul and Ephesus and what happened there in just a moment. Before we do that, I just want to say a thing, something as a pastor of, of our church. Number one, listen close. I am so incredibly thankful and proud of you as followers of Christ. I am so honored to pastor a church, this church at Bethel. This week, we had... Um, a lot of death and, and difficulty and suffering, and, and I watched our church minister and serve and care for people in extraordinary and wonderful and beautiful ways, and it just blessed my soul to watch it. I want to say thank you to you. We had funerals on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and we fed hundreds of people and loved on them, and God was at work among us in our church. Amen? And so I just thank the Lord. And you, as pastor, I was walking down the hallway after one of the funeral meals this week, and as I was walking down the hallway, I just was almost moved to tears. And I thought, I am so thankful. And what I've seen displayed in our church is God's Spirit at work among us. Amen? Amen. Now today, I encourage you to open your Bible and find chapter number 19, beginning with verse number 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today through your word. Lord, we're hungry to hear your word and receive it. Father, we ask you to speak to us, and I pray that, Father, that we would turn from our sin and selfishness and turn to you with all of our hearts. May you do a work of deep grace in us. Lord, we come with lots of different needs on a day like this day. Burdens, cares, concerns, brokenness, grief, attitudes for some of us that are good and open, and for some of us, closed and 
dark. So, Father, we ask that you break through into our lives. Take our hearts of stone and change them by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What are the essential questions that we must consider in evaluating whether or not we know for certain we are saved? This is an important question, isn't it? This essential question, this understanding. What is it, the essential questions we should consider in evaluating whether we know for certain that we're saved? How can you have a reasonable certainty that someone has come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? You may say, well, Brother Tim, I don't know that anybody can know whether or not you're saved. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, these things I've written in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So the Lord doesn't want you to have a hope-so salvation. He wants you to have have a no-so salvation, that you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. It's an important question for the mission field, but it is also an important question in a local church. Amen. Remember in Romania, I was talking with a young woman who was a school teacher. She served in a larger city north of Lagos where we go on mission trip, and she teaches in uh, Timisoara. And as I was talking to her, I said, well, do you, have you come to know Jesus personally and are confident that you know him as your Savior? She said, oh, no, I am not confident whatsoever. I said, you don't know for sure? She says, oh, no, how could I? And I said, why? She says, well, I'm so sinful, and I've done so many things wrong in my life. How could I ever know for certain that I could be a Christian? And as we began to talk about it, she grew up in a, in a, a Pentecostal church there, and, and, and she was always fearful that she had not come to know Jesus or that she was saved or had eternal life. So we began to talk about that together, and I began to witness with her and share with her. I said, today, today you can know for certain. And with the help of a translator, she prayed and trusted Jesus Christ to be her Lord and Savior. When I saw her the next year, she said, my life is so different because I know that Christ lives in my life. Amen. That's exactly what God wants to do in your life and in my life. But you know, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. The truth of the matter is, we, we sometimes think that we're saved, but we're really not saved. We think that things are right between us and the Lord, but things aren't right between us and the Lord. And how would you evaluate whether somebody's come to know Jesus or if they're saved? Interesting story in one of the great uh, evangelical church leaders in uh, 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 John Wesley. And John Wesley and his uh, brother Charles Wesley had a huge impact on evangelicalism not only in Europe, in England, but in the United States. In John Wesley's early life, everybody just assumed 
he was going to become a, a man of God. He, his father was a clergyman, and his name was and well-respected in England. His name was Samuel Wesley. His mother, Susanna Wesley, was a, a godly woman known all over the city for her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and her walk with God. He grew up in a privileged uh, household with a lot of means and money and resources. He attended Oxford University. He became a double professor in logic and Greek and uh, could read the Greek New Testament like the morning paper. He was uh, brilliant and smart and engaged and passionate. He was an assistant to his father. He was ordained to the gospel ministry. While he was on campus, along with some other young men, he started a group of students that were seeking to know God and deepen their devotional life and memorize Scripture and pray together. And uh, these young men became known as the Holy Club on campus and, uh, and had impact on other people's lives. He accepted an invitation to go on a mission trip with the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel to, to the Americas, and he came to Georgia, and his mission was to take the gospel to American Indians, and that mission trip seemed to him to be nothing but an utter failure. He was depleted and discouraged and somewhat just so disappointed at the end of that mission trip that he was sailing on a ship back to England, and he said, In his journal, he wrote these words, I went to the Americas to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Wow. There are really three kinds of people that we find in the church and the world. First of all, there are those who think that they're Christians, but they're not. They have never been born again. Their lives never changed never been transformed by the power of the Lord. They've they've not been baptized into Christ. They've not placed their faith in Christ, and they've not been born again. Then there are others who have been. They've experienced the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, and they have a walk with Jesus Christ that's real. And then there's another group They at one time were believers, at one time were followers. But they live a life now that shows no evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in their life at all. Which kind of person are you today? And how about your life? A little background before we get into the text. If you look with me into the 18th chapter, I didn't put these scriptures on the wall, so this is bonus Scripture verses. So if you look with me to chapter 18, verse 24. Now, there was a Jew named Apollos. He is a native of Alexandria. Now, a little background here. Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. Remember remember them for Corinth. They leave from Corinth. Paul's heading back to Jerusalem. They stop in Ephesus for a few days. And in a short visit in Ephesus... Paul goes to the synagogue, he's preaching the gospel, he's reasoning with him as he always did. Ephesus is the capital city of Asia in the Roman Empire. Ephesus is a mighty city, important city. Just background, he leaves Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus and sails on. 
he tells those folks where there's an openness to the gospel. He said, I can't stay. I'm under a vow. I've got to go back to Jerusalem. But Lord willing, I'll come back and spend time with you. And indeed he does. He comes back to Ephesus eventually, and he stays there longer than he stays in any other city. And there's great harvest and fruit that takes place in Ephesus. But he leaves behind his good friends, Priscilla and Aquila. Remember from last week, they are tent makers, right, in the same trade industry with Paul. He lived for them for a while, with them for a while in Corinth. A house church meets in their house. They, they, are, they, are, uh, they are good and fast friends of the Apostle Paul. And so they're still in Ephesus. Now, in Ephesus, this man shows up, and we're first time introduced to him. His name is Apollos. He's from Alexandria. That's from Egypt. That is the second largest city in the known world. And so Alexandria is a multicultural city, a a city of high influence and and trade, but education and philosophy. and, and, And if you're from Alexandria, you're coming from a place where there's high cotton. And, and a, great orde- a great understanding. And this man was an extraordinary man. He came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. That means he, his ability to speak and to reason and debate was unbelievable. He was competent. The ESV says competent in the Scripture. Uh, it, uh, some of the translations are mighty in the Scripture. John Broadus, who wrote probably the greatest book on preaching in the last 200 years. John Broadus was one of the founders of Southern Seminary, Louisville. In the last week of his life, in one of the the last class he ever taught, he was talking about Apollos, and he said, Apollos was mighty in Scripture. He leaned over his lectern and looked at all those young men And he said he was mighty in Scripture. And then he paused for a moment and said he was mighty in Scripture. He was mighty in Scripture. And he said, men, be mighty in the Scripture. So here is this man, Apollos. Not only that, he's fervent in spirit. He's on fire for God. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and Priscilla and Aquila listened closely to him. And they said, something's off. Now, they didn't embarrass him publicly, but Priscilla and Aquila talked about it, said, you know, He's missing something here. And they pull him off to the side, and the Bible says both of them, the man and the woman, were teaching Apollos, and he submitted to what they had to do, and more accurately were teaching to him the gospel and the fullness of the cross and the resurrection and the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And he received their instruction, and then God used him in powerful ways. Notice... In verse number 27, when he wished to cross to Achaia, that means to go to Corinth, the brothers encouraged him, the brothers from Ephesus, and they wrote a letter saying, listen, this man is mighty in the Scriptures. He's a man of God. You need to listen to him. When he arrives in Corinth, 
He greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus, that the Christ was Jesus, that Jesus is indeed Messiah. This is a little background to setting up what is happening here in chapter number 19. Paul then is on his way, in the meantime, from on his third missionary journey. So as he's making his way over land, he's headed toward Ephesus. And uh, so he's leaving from Antioch, the mission sending center of the church, and he's headed to Ephesus. He goes inland and he encounters these men. These, they're called disciples. They're not really disciples of Jesus, but they're disciples of John the Baptist. And he encounters them at Ephesus. There's 12 of them. And these are good men and wonderful men, but there's something missing. And as Paul begins to listen to them, he realizes in their talking about God that there was something missing in them. And so he begins to inquire and ask some important questions. The first question he asks them is, do you believe, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul believed that when you put your faith and trust, you would receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, brothers, when you believe, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They said, we never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul knew there's a problem. He says, and then what were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. Well, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. But John's baptism and John's preaching was turned from sin and turned to God. And I am preparing the way. One who is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. What he's saying is, I'm not Messiah. I'm pointing to Messiah and Messiah will change your life. But you know what? These boys hadn't heard the fullness of the gospel. And they only knew about John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, but they hadn't fully received the gospel. And so he, Paul, begins to explain to them more fully the gospel and who Jesus is and what Jesus did for them. And then those boys said, we want to be baptized in the name of Jesus, the Savior and our Messiah. And they're baptized with water, and the Spirit of God falls on these men, and they are changed. Isn't that glorious? Today, some questions I want us to consider. The first question is this. Have you been spiritually reborn? Are you all here? You listening? Have you been spiritually born Again, how many of y'all believe that's an important question? I'd like to talk to the rest of you right after the service. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Believed in whom? Jesus. Have you been changed by God's Spirit in your life? Listen to me. 
You don't become a Christian because you believe in a set of facts. You don't become a Christian just because you believe that Jesus lived. You don't become a Christian just because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You don't become a Christian just because you believe that Jesus died and rose again. You don't become a Christian just because you believe facts. Satan and all of his demons know the facts. What saves you is when there's a change in you that's done by the Spirit of God working in you, and you are born again. Theologians call this regeneration. Because you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and you need to be made alive in Christ. And only the Spirit can do that in your life. It's not agreeing to just facts only. Amen? Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now, you know the story, don't you? In John's Gospel, chapter number 3, Nick comes to Jesus. At night, he's a leader, a teacher, a Pharisee, the teacher of all of Israel. And he says, I know that you're a good teacher. I know you come from God. And he's talking to Jesus. And Jesus, lo- and, and Jesus looks at Nicodemus. He said, listen, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You need to be born a second time. And Nicodemus comes confused with this. He says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? You can't go back into a mother's womb, can you? He's trying to be funny. You can't crawl back into the womb. How can you be born again? And he said, listen, you don't get it, Nick. He said, Nick, you need to be born of your mom, but you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be born of the water, but you need to be born of the Spirit. What's born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Why do you marvel? You must be born again. There must be a transformation in your heart that God comes into your life And God changes you. God awakens you. God does something in you that I want to turn from this sin and I want to embrace Jesus Christ. It happens when you hear the simple gospel message and you're lost in your trespasses. You're like, oh, Lazarus, you're lying dead in the grave with no hope to raise yourself. But you hear the voice of one calling you. And he's calling your name and he awakens you out of death into life. And you are born again. This, this is not preached much. We need to understand that Christianity is not about going to church only. Christianity is not about just studying your Bible only. Christianity is not about agreeing to a set of facts. Christianity is that Jesus Christ woke you out of death and brought you into life. And you now embrace him as the Savior and Lord of your life. It's a new life. It's a new birth. Baptism can't save you. Serving others can't save you. Being on a committee can't save you. Although you might want to be saved from that. It's a mystery. It's a work of God in you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Have you been born again? Have you? That's my question to you. Have you been born again? 
When John Wesley was on that boat ride back home to England, he had a lot of time to think. He had encountered on his travels some Moravian brothers. And they had a white hat passion for Christ in a way that he didn't understand. It intrigued him. He couldn't quit thinking about it. When he got back to London, he sought out one of the leaders in the Moravia, among the Moravians. And he was clearly convinced there was unbelief and a lack of faith in his heart. And he knew something was missing in his life. He went to a Moravian meeting, and this meeting was taking place in a Moravian Bible society, a mission society, a church society. And they met at Aldersgate. Wesley wrote in May 24, 1738, in his journal, in the evening, I attended unwillingly, really, but agreed to go to a society at Aldersgate where they were reading from the preface of Luther's commentary on Romans. It was about a quarter past nine, and while they were describing the change, God works in the heart through faith in Jesus, suddenly I felt my heart strangely warmed, and I felt I did trust in Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and he saved me from the law of sin and death. God used that man and his brother to change the world. The second question we need to consider today is are you trusting in Jesus' name? Are you trusting in the name of Jesus only? Notice in verse number three, and it says, <clears throat> And he said, Into what were you baptized? And they said, Under John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And that is Jesus. Folks, salvation is found in no one else except Jesus Christ alone. Amen. The question is, have you, are you trusting in Jesus alone as your Savior? John said, one coming after me is mightier than I. I baptize with water. He'll baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's different. Jesus said, he said, you believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said, I, I alone am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Only me. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by your deeds. You're not saved because you feel guilty. You're not saved because you try to beat yourself. You're not saved by anything but the name of Jesus. Well, the angel told him, 
Joseph and Mary, you'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. There's only one Savior, and it's Jesus. Peter, when he preached, he said, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's in Jesus only, friends. Listen, nobody else can save you. I'm going to tell you what, your wife can't save you. Your husband can't save you. Your parents can't save you. Your grandparents can't save you. Your good deeds can't save you. Only Jesus can. John said, he who has the Son has the life. But he who does not have the Son does not have the life. There's only one way. You've got to trust in only one, and that's Jesus. You can't be sorrowful enough. You can't be, do enough penance to save yourself. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of your works, lest any man should boast. Now listen, you think somehow you can do good deeds and God's beholden to save you, or maybe you know that you're a rascal, and if you just beat yourself enough, enough in front of God that he'll accept you, that's not the way it works, friends. It's Jesus alone, right? August Toplady was a great hymn writer, great theologian, preacher. He wrote these words in a song that you're familiar with, right? Listen, listen close. He said, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. It's in the cross of Christ is our salvation. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Vile I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And then he wrote this verse. Not the labor of my hands could fulfill thy law's demand. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Our salvation is found in one, and that's Jesus Christ. Number three, have you confessed your faith in Jesus by being baptized. Have you confessed your faith by being baptized? These 12 men immediately realized that the baptism they had received was the baptism of John, but not the baptism of Jesus. And they are now going to confess their faith in Jesus through being baptized. Listen close. Will you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, by being scripturally baptized. As a believer in the name of Jesus Christ. If you will not confess him as your Lord, why not? If you refuse to be baptized, why? First John chapter 2, verse 23 says, 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's confessing Jesus. Baptism is my identification with Jesus Christ. When I'm baptized, this is what I'm saying. I believe that Jesus Christ is uniquely the Son of God. And when I'm baptized, I'm saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is singularly the Son of God. That Jesus Christ died and was buried. And Jesus Christ rose again victoriously over the grave. He's unlike any other man. He died and rose again. That he is the Lord, that he, it is a picture of his incarnation as a man, as his humiliation in his death and his exaltation as he rises again from the dead. It is Jesus Christ is Lord. He is not just Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah and he is Lord. He's king of my life and king of the world. It's his kingdom that I identify with. And when I come into the water of baptism as a believer, then I'm saying I identify with that man. And I believe he died for me. And I believe he rose again for me. And when I'm baptized, the old Tim is buried and a new Tim lives with Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I reflect on that. I remember that so that I might live a life in allegiance to him. And that's the whole argument in Romans chapter number 6. That we are identified with him. And we've been transformed by him. Amen? I see some of you just doubting, so I'm going to have to open the Bible and point it out to you. (laughs) Romans, you have your Bible, chapter number 6, Romans 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought 
to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. And we know that Christ is being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives to God. So you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Woo! This baptism gives you strength because it's a picture of what's happened inwardly and spiritually and eternally in your life. Everyone in this room that's a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Fourth question. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? And notice in, in the passage that we looked at just a moment ago that they laid hands on these boys and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's God's Spirit and evidenced by prophesying and praising, speaking in tongues. Let me ask you, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? What is the evidence that is in your life of God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you? 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 says, By this we know we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his Spirit. The Spirit dwell in you. Does he walk with you? Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit... He is at work in you. He helps you put to death the deeds of the flesh and live by the Spirit. If we're led by the Spirit, then we are the sons of God. Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, comforting you, guiding you, convicting you, changing you? Listen, if you live by the deeds of the flesh, you'll die. But if... By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, and you live, you have life. And we've received not the spirit of slavery that we fall back again into fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption, saying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, you dwell in me. You live in me. I'm Lee. You're guiding me. You're convicting me. You're comforting me. You're speaking to me. I'm praising you, and you were speaking to me. Whoo! Changes your life. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. A famous actor that most of you wouldn't know said many years ago, she, some of you old people will know, she was on Hee Haw. That's how old this was. She's a great big gal. Her name was Lulu Roman. They were asking her about her Christianity one day, 
how she knew she was a Christian. She said, because I got inside information. <laughs> His spirit, speaking to her spirit, that we are the children of God. He changes you. He changes your relationships. He changes how you live your life. He, he, his, his life bears fruit. And that fruit is love. You find somebody that doesn't have love, they don't know Jesus. Love and joy and peace and patience. These exemplify the life of our Savior in us. His Holy Spirit overflowing in kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is His Spirit. Is there evidence? You say, Pastor, I don't know. Ask your wife. Is there evidence? Ask your parents. Ask your pastor. Is there evidence of his life in you? Your life changed. Your life different. Let me tell you something else. You know that the Spirit of God's dwelling in you because you have a passion for people that don't know Jesus. And you want them to know Jesus. And the Holy Spirit wants you to talk to them about Jesus and gives you power to do that. Acts 1.8 says, when the Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. Do you have a longing, a burden, a heart for lost people? Are you talking about him? The Holy Spirit, there's more that I want to say about this, but I don't have time. Another sermon will do. Let me tell you, it brings unity in a church. It brings unity in your life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit also does. It gives you rivers of living water. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his mouth will be rivers of living water. Let me tell you what, not foul, polluted water. Out of his mouth flows living water. Water that gives life. Words of praise, words of thanksgiving, words of grace, words of the gospel, words that are positive and faith-filled words. Come and drink, and out of your very being will flow rivers of living water. Is there evidence? These 12 brothers... Their life was changed. Immediate evidence that God had done a work in them. How about you? How about you? This question's been asked a long time by different authors, and you've heard it. It's a good question to consider today. Listen. If you were arrested today for being a Christian, Would there be enough evidence to convict you? How are you living your life? How is he living his life in and through you? Three types of people here today, I think. Some who think they're saved, but you're not. Because you've never been born again. 
You come to church, you know the facts, but you've never been born again. And if you don't, if you're not born again, you cannot be saved. Others of you here who have been, and you know you are, praise God. And some of you, at one time in your life, lived like a believer. But right now, you're not. And you need to repent and come back to him. Paul is in Ephesus, right? And John, some years later, writes to the church at Ephesus. I know your works, I know your deeds, I know what you believe, but I got this going on against you. You have abandoned your love. And so what you need to do is remember from where you've fallen. Repent and turn back to God. And do the deeds that you used to do. That's the formula for getting back to a walk with God. Father in heaven, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.